Welcome to episode 23 of the Walk and Talk podcast. I'm Greg Johnson, and today is Tuesday, May 26, 2020. In this episode, I'm going to be discussing the benefits and drawbacks to podcasting versus writing articles for the web or producing videos for YouTube from the perspective of the creator and also from the perspective of the content consumer. So let's get started. About a month ago, I began attempting to produce a podcast just about every day on topics that I felt I knew enough about or had enough experience with that I could talk pretty much nonstop for 20, 30, 40 minutes. And that's been working pretty well. And the process has me thinking about what media delivery platform, what content type is ideal for different subjects. Certainly there are some subjects that really could benefit from a visual, like perhaps computer training or cooking or something like that. But there are other subjects that really don't need that much of a visual, particularly social commentary or just general discussions about topics. And up until recently, actually up until the past month, I was mostly writing articles, more so than videos. Because in an article, I can link to other resources and I can type that up pretty quickly, whereas video needs to be edited a bit and I would want to add in some visuals to the video. So articles had been my primary means of communicating and delivering content on the website. But let's go down the list of advantages and disadvantages. So starting with let's say articles, since that seems to be one of the more popular methods of delivering information and consuming it, the advantage of that is that you can quickly skim over an article and get to the essential information you need. It's unlikely that every person is going to read all the way through every article. They may have a specific piece of information they want from that, they're going to get it and move on. And also with an article, it's easy to go back and just from visually skimming the document to kind of return to where you left off. Now that's a a feature also with podcasts on YouTube. You can go back and it'll keep playing from where you left off usually. But in any event, writing the content as a content creator is relatively an easy task. It doesn't require a lot of special equipment. And unlike audio production or video production, you don't need to be concerned about background noises or camera motion or background visuals that detract from the message. So you just have the written word. And if you want to refer to some YouTube video, you can just drop that into the article. And in that regard, the website post, an article shared on a website, is uniquely suited to offer written audio, video, photos, all kinds of media in one article. So it's it's a good method for delivering content. And it's one of the oldest methods for delivering content in the sense that on the internet, because bandwidth used to be an issue, people would not be sharing big audio files, big video files, even large photos. Only recently in, oh, say the past 10 years, have the size of content files grown and there's been less of a concern about bandwidth. So writing has been around for a long time on the web. 
But basically, the challenge of writing as a content creator is that you need to be sitting at your desk to do that, and that creates a lot of sedentary time in your life. On top of, if you're a tech person and doing web designs as well as other kinds of tech support or remote phone-based support, and certainly when people are in quarantine um, during the pandemic, that's been going on for a, a number of months now, that even pushes people to be more and more sedentary unless you kind of force yourself to get up and get out. So what I found was that the writing, because I spend quite a bit of time doing research, I look up additional materials. At the end of my articles, I usually have a section that describes further reading resources. But I spend a lot of time on that. And that was a lot of sedentary time. And when you're focused on a creative task like writing, you tend to not get up even to stretch or to exercise your eyes or whatever. Life insurance companies measure the risk of different professions based on the raw data. And one of the professions that is at greatest risk for the individuals involved in it is tech support and really any job that involves sitting at desks for long periods of time. Written content generally lends itself to being more of a precision task that requires attention to detail. Something that's relatively easy to do with written content is to go back later and add new or corrected information. And that's not something that's easily done with audio or video, particularly because of platform limitations. So, for example, if you are publishing video to Vimeo, the video service called Vimeo, you can upload a revised version of a video and the URL does not change. The description is still there. But with YouTube, it's traditionally been the case that once you've posted a YouTube video, you can't upload a new version of it. With writing, that's not a problem. You can easily go in, quickly make a change or an update, and the software maintains the revisions if you needed to go back and see what the original looked like. Video content has advantages and disadvantages. Among the advantages would be the ability to show somebody something visually that would be difficult to describe through the spoken word or through writing. And video really cuts right to that. And particularly if you're showing someone, let's say, a travel or tourism video of a certain area and you want them to see the natural surroundings, that's going to be something that would be difficult to describe through writing in words or spoken language. Sometimes a written article that contains photos can be just as effective as a video if it's an instructional item. And sometimes may be more effective because the video moves along at a certain pace, whereas screenshots with arrows clearly pointing to each click or menu item is easier for some people to follow. But with videos, there is the advantage then of having the background audio, the motion video, particularly for events where people want to see sports or nature or other things. And video in some ways can be easier than writing an article because for some video content, as with podcasts, a more casual presentation of information is acceptable. If you wrote an article and it was full of typos and 
incomplete sentences and fillers like um that would not be acceptable but somehow in spoken language either through a podcast or a video people might not even pick up on those little things so if you really know a subject and have an outline in mind of the points that you want to talk about you could record a video probably in one take with very few edits and the general information could be conveyed as long as the lighting and sound quality are good you're basically done whereas with an article I don't know if if you've had this experience but I have I'll continue to go back and refine it and improve it and add something else that I've thought about once you're completed with a video it's pretty much done it's out there you've offered the information that you had in mind at the time but you're not going to keep going back and trying to update that video you might provide a subsequent revisit for let's say a product review but you're not going to go back to the original so that has advantages and disadvantages with video production you definitely have concerns if it's outdoors you'll have concerns about background noise lighting camera motion those are the three biggest challenges in the past i used to produce videos while riding on my bicycle and that would be an ongoing issue was if the camera was moving too much or if the sun was behind me or if whatever i was showing a video of was not well lit or if there was too much wind either on a windy day or just because the bicycle was going so fast that some of those videos came out just fine and if i rode slowly and was mindful of where the sun was at i was able to produce some good videos but in general it was having to juggle a lot of different variables to produce quality content video production requires some specialized equipment software extra hard drive space and a computer that's capable of doing some good video editing and also some skill to edit video properly and have an end result that's appealing and those things really can't be minimized it's significant and if you're putting together a video that's more than just an impromptu talk if it's instructional or something where you're bringing in other visuals that can be really time consuming i see on youtube a lot of videos that have you can tell a lot of production time put into them with animations their lengthy videos lots of research was done lots of product testing software used to test different computers so i see that and think that's useful but sometimes it seems whatever they're communicating through the video could have been done in a much simpler way that the animations weren't really needed what a person hopes is that the fancy animations will cause people to come back they'll they'll like the high quality and the snazziness of the video and come back for more that's the hope but it certainly can consume a lot of time and money and a lot of these big youtube channel content creators who have 10 million subscribers or more they have complete studios they're probably paying you know $1000 or more rent per month just for the space they have staff that they need to pay it becomes a real business and it's a business that's very dependent upon and reliant on the google family of products and ecosystem and some of these content creators are sort of walking on a tightrope in terms of avoiding 
copyright concerns or having their content limited in terms of how it's being presented or having advertising pulled from their content, which makes it hard to pay rent. So there are these stories out there of people that are having some trouble with that business model and making it work. And there's a sense that there's no guarantee of what kind of outcome you can expect. An alternative would be to upload video content to your own website and use a built-in player. And then you, with your website, with just your you know, one channel or whatever content you're producing, then would try to compete with Google and YouTube. The problem with that is that your content won't be listed on YouTube, which is the world's most popular video platform, or I would guess it's either in first place or in the top three or something. And that's the advantage of being on YouTube. It's like if you're selling products, you would want to have an outlet on Amazon, have an Amazon seller presence because everybody's searching Amazon for products and everyone's searching YouTube for videos. With many of the videos that I've produced, they are unscripted and unrehearsed, first take and done in one take videos. So it's a topic that I have some experience with and I have a pretty good idea of what I wanna share. And so I'm able to present that in one quick, easy process. And then that minimizes the amount of video editing that's required and I can just pretty much post what was recorded. Some people like that format. They like that kind of raw, unedited, kind of genuine, authentic content in the videos they watch or in the podcasts they're listening to. I tend to lean toward that and try to become proficient in that creative process because it saves a huge amount of time. And I know on a couple of these podcasts where I didn't really have a clear map of what I wanted to share, but I was just generally talking out loud and thinking out loud and doing sort of a brainstorming session, it came out okay, but there were moments during the recording where I would kind of start over or take some time just to think about what the next point was that I wanted to make. And on all of those moments, that had to be edited pretty precisely. And that just takes time. So if a person can just go right through, whether it's video or audio, go right through in one take, it's better. Podcasting has quite a few advantages for the content creator as a choice. I mentioned that writing requires that you sit down and apply quite a bit of focus and attention to get everything just right. And video also requires quite a bit of effort to make sure the lighting and sound and everything is just right. With podcasting, you don't have to worry about lighting. You don't have to worry about a shaky camera. You do have to worry about sound and background noises if you're outside. If you're home, you can use a good walk-in closet with a lot of clothes and have your own recording booth. But other than that, with podcasting, you can go out for a walk, or perhaps even while you're driving on a daily commute. And if you have a topic in mind and you hone this skill of being able to sort of talk nonstop and keep a presentation going, it's similar to perhaps the, the rhythm and patterns that a college professor or instructor would get into. They just know the topic and they give pretty much the same presentation from one year to the next. And so they're able to start the class and there's no editing, you know, they just say what they're going to say. Maybe they have a PowerPoint presentation or an outline 
But in general, the content is committed to memory. And so if a podcaster can have that skill and can pick topics that are familiar, then the recording process, the editing process will be much smoother. So that's a big advantage that podcasting can be done while you walk, so it's not a sedentary activity. I think, for me, that's one of the biggest benefits. I find that writing ends up being one of the most sedentary activities. Video maybe comes in second place in that. You'll probably be producing your video from a seated or standing position, but relatively sedentary. And then there's the video editing process, which really has to be done while you're sitting at a a computer or an appropriate tablet like an iPad. But with podcasting, if you have this process down and fewer concerns about, as with writing typos or with video, lighting and other issues, then the process is much smoother. You can produce while moving, and that's a a good thing. The other advantage of podcasting is that for the content consumer, for the person wanting to just learn something or be informed, they can listen and keep up with the information that's being presented. I find if I have a YouTube video playing, I'm trying to get some work done, I'm frequently looking over to the YouTube video if there's something visually pertinent to what's being said. And the presenter in a YouTube video typically won't be providing descriptive video for the blind or something like that. They're not they're going to rely on the visual they'll say, see, take a look at this. Whereas if you're writing, and certainly if you're giving a spoken message through a podcast, it really puts an emphasis on a description that gives the visual details that are missing. And for the few instructional podcast episodes that I've done, I find that that's an advantage As an instructor over the years, mostly on the topic of technology, but also on tiny houses and other things, I find that certainly I don't want to be sitting at the chair using the mouse and telling the person, see, this is how you do it, right? You want the person who's learning to be sitting at the chair, moving the mouse, getting that that mechanical muscle memory engaged as well as the visual of the process. And so, in a way, the, the spoken message really puts the focus on the learner or on the listener, I believe. And it makes the presenter carry more weight in terms of providing step-by-step details and visuals. So a person who's learning about some computer task or process will be either sitting at their desk or if they're driving, they'll be visualizing their computer and going through the paces mentally. But it really puts the experience in the learner's lap or the listener's lap, and there's no technology interfering with that process. I've not yet done a cooking episode, but that's an example of something I'd like to try to do through a podcast because it, it's sort of an interesting challenge. You know, there's, we know how to have a cooking uh, document or cookbook or written instructions And we've seen videos on cooking, but I think it would be interesting to have a cooking podcast that describes the process, the ingredients, etc. And so the person in their kitchen does not need to be looking at some book 
or looking at a video, they can just listen to audio that was intentionally created with the idea of guiding somebody through a process. It's something I'm trying to do in these podcasts that I've created so far is to provide some natural pauses and to slow down when I think somebody's going to need to be absorbing some information or taking notes or doing something if it's a step-by-step instruction. Audiobooks are very popular, and there are many reasons why people choose an audiobook over reading a printed book or reading a book on a Kindle or iPad or similar device. And most likely, with people being busy and wanting to multitask, one of the reasons that people prefer audiobooks is that they can be cleaning around the house or exercising or doing some activity and reading a book. And tying that into this theme of healthy choices, if you're sitting and reading a book, you're not as active as if you're going for a walk and putting in some headphones and listening to the book. Now, obviously, there are people that will read while they're on the treadmill or the stationary bicycle, but in general, audiobooks promote movement and activity and multitasking, whereas reading gives you limited multitasking. A challenge with podcasts for the creator and the listener is the question of how to share specific details, how to convey like a a table or a chart or a photo or links to other websites. And one technique that can be used is to have a post on your website, have the podcast there as an audio, and then any written or visual supplements or companion documents and materials could be provided there on the website. But in general, it's a good idea to get into this skill of being able to give a presentation and provide information that isn't reliant upon click this link to learn more. And that takes a little bit of practice, but it's something that really needs to be done for podcasts, I think, to make them digestible, usable, and effective without requiring that the person sit down at a computer or look up some link later. Videos on YouTube or an article on a website will typically have a comments area below the content. And that's a very active component of the content that's being offered. Often the comments below a short YouTube video can be more dynamic with exchanges back and forth between people than the video itself. And it creates a whole new sort of online response. And some people really thrive on that. The people who like to engage at that level and the people who post videos like to see lots of comments. And those comments are a gauge of the popularity of content. So you're video might rise higher in the search results if there are a lot of comments. And the same is true for articles, that if there are lots of comments below the article, it engages people. And when people feel engaged and involved, they're more likely to share that with someone else or come back to it and read more. So if your goal is to get page loads that will produce advertising revenue, then that's a way to do it. One thing we need to ask, though, is how meaningful and how deep are those connections? The comments below a video, the comments below an article. Are those people even paying attention to the ads that load the next time they go back to the page? Probably not. So it's not really helping the advertiser. It can give the content author a little boost, a little ego boost to see that there are 
lots of people commenting, but do those people eventually subscribe? Do they take action on what was written in the article? Probably not. So something that's missing in podcasting is this dynamic interaction with comments in response to podcast episodes. There may be some of that on websites where the podcasts are listed, but on the podcast platforms themselves, like iTunes or Spotify, you won't find a big social media connected dialogue going on there. It's really just the listener and the podcast and nothing else. That has a kind of beneficial solitude to it. It also removes some of this chatter that can be superficial and shallow and sometimes negative and not productive if it's trolls commenting on something you've created. So in that regard, the podcast statistics of listeners becomes your only kind of raw, distilled metric of popularity. You just look at how many times the podcast has been listened to, and that's really your only goal, unless you're engaging people on some social media platform or through your website. With the content on the resourcesforlife.com website, I've tried to create informational and instructional materials that aren't really going to provoke a lot of questions or a lot of comments. My goal is to minimize that. To have a title for the article or page that's accurate and to have, hopefully, search terms guiding the process of somebody finding the page and that what they were looking for will be there and that the content is clear and complete. And so I just basically look at the page visits to determine how popular a topic is. And I don't spend time advertising or promoting the site. It's purely through search engine results because I feel like that's the most organic and reliable and dependable and long-term way to build up a content platform like a website. If you're out paying for your results, you don't really know what the organic inherent effectiveness is of your site and your content. It muddles the, the waters, muddies the waters. So with podcasting, it has that kind of pure capability to be just raw content. Try to have the content as complete and clearly explained as possible. And it's impactful and meaningful to those who are searching for it and find it. And you really rely on Bing and Google and Yahoo and other search engines to deliver people to your site and to deliver them to content they were searching for that's going to be helpful. Whenever I do get a lot of comments on a post, that's an indication to me that I did something wrong, that there was something they had an additional question about or something that wasn't explained clearly, unless the comment is just something like, hey, thanks for that, it was really helpful. But in general, people aren't doing that. They'll find what they need, use it, and move on. So in some respects, podcasting is a little bit of a project that's done in solitude without much direct feedback, I suppose, unless you get like a million followers. But if you're curating content that's very specific and that's not likely to generate a million followers, but very, very helpful to the few people that need it, 
I think that's success. People have different preferences and strengths in their learning process. Some prefer a video visual presentation. Others prefer a spoken message that they can listen to and maybe take notes. Other people would prefer to read some information and that that's the way they absorb it best. So podcasting in that regard provides an additional delivery mechanism for people who prefer an audible learning experience. And that is something that's good to go ahead and add to a portfolio of information that already exists. So you may have articles written about a subject, but people that are driving down the road, they're looking for something they can listen to. I find as I'm walking in nature on trails, hearing the birds in the background, seeing wildlife, that it stimulates the thought process. So these podcasts that I create are largely just a brainstorming session that I intentionally don't want to rely on a script or an outline because then that structure would inhibit some of the creative process. And that's something that can't easily be done when writing or producing a video. So it's unique to podcasting if you're doing these sort of walk-and-talk podcasts. And for some people, they find that their thinking process is more dynamic if they're even just walking at the office, that they can have a more creative thought process. I launched the Walk and Talk podcast on April 29th. The first official episode was April 30th. And so we're coming upon the one-month marker. And over this past month, going out for these walks that initially I envisioned would be about 20 minutes, but have turned into an hour or two hours of recording, over that period of time, it's really had a positive impact on my health because I'm getting in a lot more walking than I otherwise would have. And podcasting serves that desire or need to get information out to the public, to customers, or to people that are visiting your website. It serves that purpose, but doesn't pull you into sitting at a desk for long periods of time. And additionally, I've spoken in previous episodes about how you can use website content as a way to respond to email requests that come in. If somebody has a request, and particularly if it's a common request, like which printer should I buy, you can produce an article about that, or a video about that, or a podcast. And in my profession, people pay me for my time and expertise and experience and advice. Usually that involves sitting down with them or over the phone or using video chat or doing remote support through special software. But if I can provide these spoken messages, which are comprehensive and answer the questions that people have on different topics, then it's a way of providing the service I offer without any charge. And that's a nice thing to do. It makes it more accessible. And it allows me to focus on the things that require my attention on a certain project. In terms of reliably experiencing positive results and lots of viewers or readers or listeners, if I were to compare the three media types... It's hard to know the real-world impact and meaningfulness of the content we share. As I 
sort of mentioned earlier, it's better in my mind to have a lower number, a smaller number of readers, listeners, or viewers, but have those people really be engaged with the content and finding value in it, than to have a lot of superficial followers who just sort of click on something because it was presented in an enticing way or it's content that doesn't really impact somebody's life. It's more like something to have in the background that they're not even really paying attention to. So I would rather have more substantive content that people really value and make use of. But based on the listeners and viewers and readers, what I've found is that written content tends to produce an unpredictable result. And that's simply because of how the articles are indexed, what the topics are, the level of interest. I've had some articles that are dormant for a long time that don't seem to show any interest and then will suddenly become the most popular article on my website because of something in a news cycle that causes people to search for that topic. So one doesn't really know what kind of results they will get. You can probably predict it if you have a million visitors a month and you know pretty much what's going to happen if you put articles on your home page, what kind of reaction you'll get. But in general, if you're kind of the average website and not AOL or MSN or something like that, then the predictability is difficult. But in general, as I've compared the response to written content to videos and to podcasts, I find that written content will, at this point, generally be about the same in response as YouTube videos with YouTube videos coming in a close second, I would say. Sometimes there's a video on YouTube that I'll create, and if it's really specific about a specific product and model, then those tend to do really well because people are searching for that, and it's unlikely other people are going to have videos about that specific item, model, number. But otherwise, the YouTube videos don't take off unless they, you know, end up being featured on the homepage for two minutes, which people have that happen. That's lucky. So anyway, I find the written content gets more responses. And the podcasts are not getting as many. I think it's because at present, podcast content doesn't show up as predominantly on Google searches, it's there. And whatever platform you're using is typically what's going to show up. But it's not quite given the same weight as videos or articles. And then the other factor with podcasting is if you're trying to build a listening community of subscribers, that takes time. In episode number 11, I talk a little bit about the process that I've been using for recording these podcasts and how I've modified it a little bit. That was after creating 10 episodes and wanting to share a little bit of my initial experiences. A point that I make in that episode is that I'm not trying to build a huge subscriber base and entertain people but instead I'm trying to reach people who need certain information that they're interested in instructional podcasts or general information podcasts and that they'll find it useful. That's what I'm trying to build. There may be some people that like the grab bag random format of the show typically going from one topic to another between episodes, but 
in general, I think the podcasts that get millions of followers have some sort of charismatic entertainer who keeps the momentum going. And it's not necessarily about the content itself, but the delivery of the content and the humorous components and maybe some insightful news. Occasionally I'll see typos in social media and on websites of major news media outlets, and it's clear that some time is not being taken to properly review and edit content that's being published. It doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes. An advantage of podcasting and perhaps video as well is that when you're delivering a spoken message, there is much more leeway. I mentioned that earlier. And so it's a more accessible content delivery method for those who may have some sort of writing or reading challenge. For people that may have a lot of typos in what they write and not be super skilled at reading and and spotting those things, podcasting is a way to get a message out that doesn't require that attention to detail. A few days ago, it was announced that Spotify paid Joe Rogan for the ability to have the exclusive delivery of his show. And they paid about $100 million or more for that license or right. The number of followers that will come along with Joe Rogan's show are sizable. And so Spotify certainly believes that will bring a lot of attention to their platform. It will add legitimacy to their platform as a podcast player and that it will be of value, certainly $100 million or more. So podcasting certainly is not something that's remaining in the background. It's becoming a delivery method in the in the forefront of the news. And I think that it is not tapped out. It is not at its max. It is, if it were a stock, I would say buy. Podcasting has not yet been as widely embraced and utilized by content creators and content consumers as it could be. And for the reasons I mentioned, the popularity of audiobooks is kind of a direct correlation with the popularity of podcasting, what could be seen in the podcasting world. And the benefits to the content creators, particularly those who take advantage of the ability to exercise while creating content, and to the content consumers who can also be out walking. That was sort of the vision for this podcast, the Walk and Talk podcast, was that those who are listening can be exercising, either walking or at the gym, and for me, creating the content can be an active rather than sedentary process. And so there are many benefits to the content creators and the content consumers of podcasts. And I think we're going to see more podcast shows being bought and sold for millions, tens of millions or more in the future because it will be considered a valuable platform and a valuable way to reach and an effective way to reach dedicated listeners. Monetizing written content is really quite easy. If you have a website, you can include links to products on Amazon for which you will receive money, sales commission. If people purchase an item through one of your links, you can have advertising. Google AdSense is one of the more common and popular advertising mechanisms, but there are others. So there are lots of ways that you can 
have advertising and generate revenue through written articles. And you can really track the effectiveness of that because you're measuring actual clicks of people that came to your website, read the article, clicked the link, bought the item, and now you and the seller are happy about that. That always needs to be disclosed, of course, because the Federal Trade Commission wants to make sure that if there are any sponsorships or advertising revenue being generated, that readers know that in case that could create some bias on the part of uh, the content creator if they're doing some sort of product review or anything political or whatever. But that's an advantage of the written content platform. With videos, it's a little trickier. People are less likely to click on a link in a video, particularly if they're doing something else at the time and just glancing over. There can be on YouTube... What's commonly done on YouTube is to have a sponsored show, so a software product or a tech gadget or some clothing or whatever it might be, a food item, a company will pay you for having mention of their product in your show. So those sponsorships work well in video, and that can also work well for podcasting. But with YouTube, often what happens is the video creator will put links in the description below the video. And then when you click on those links, sort of like clicking on links in an article, they can be commission-based. So the seller of a product does not have to pay for advertising that isn't generating some benefit. The seller of the product generally will just pay for the clicks that resulted in a sale. So that's written content and video content as it relates to advertising. With podcasting, there can certainly be these sponsored episodes with advertisers paying a content creator to mention their product or service. But you don't really have the easy ability to have links unless you bring people back to a website, but now they're sitting at a computer again. And most podcast consumers, I presume, are not sitting at their computer. They are on a bike ride, out for a walk, at the gym, in the kitchen, cooking something up, driving down the road. They're engaged in other activities that involve the muscle memory side of their brain, but leave them available to multitask and listen to a message. But they're not available to be clicking on things, and unless you specifically read off a website name and address, it's unlikely they're going to go find anything on the internet. I usually will reference my website, resourcesforlife.com. I don't mention that a lot, but when it's relevant. But it would be hard to mention, like, a cryptic lengthy Amazon URL or something. So I would normally just tell people to search on a certain item and provide a suggested search set of terms that would find what they might want to look for. And I think that's that's good enough. But for advertising links, unless you have your podcast episodes on a website and you have an accompanying article and or links or advertising on that website, that's always, I think, going to be a subset of the broader listening audience. So you'll have these regular subscribers on your website and regular visitors there. That will have one sort of advertising revenue stream. And then the podcast itself, I think, can really be considered a separate entity and have its own way of being monetized that isn't reliant upon a website or any links. The ability to communicate using online bulletin boards and forums 
became available in the 1980s and then more so in the 1990s. And at some point, these service providers like AOL and CompuServe and Prodigy began to link their services. And then it was possible to send a message from one platform to a person on another platform. And that was the beginning of email. And when email first came out, it really was not used a lot. It was much easier just to pick up the phone and talk to somebody than to try to get to your computer and compose a message. Well, that, of course, has changed. And now emails, while they had been prevalent at one point, have sort of been replaced with social media and texting. But when emails first came out, I really adopted it quickly. And for all of my customers, I encouraged them to get set up with email. So initially, maybe myself and some family members might have been the only people they'd hear from. But I really wanted that ability to communicate with customers using email because it greatly simplified my workflow. I could work at night. I didn't have to try to reach somebody on the phone. And I found that I was increasingly seeking out more and more time and work and connectedness to people who had email just because it was more effective. I see podcasting right now as being in that state of potential but infancy, that there's so much potential for it. And like email, I want to adopt it and promote it and encourage people to create podcasts and to listen to podcasts and find that efficiency and wellness that comes from being able to do other things and exercise while you consume information. Something I should mention as one of the shortcomings of podcasts is that you can't copy and paste a paragraph like you could in an article. You can't just copy and paste it and send it to somebody. You'd have to send them a link to the whole podcast and then tell them to forward to 15 minutes into the show to hear something that you're trying to encourage them to learn about. So that makes it a little bit difficult for the content to spread as quickly. Whereas with social media, if you're sharing a picture or a link to an article, it's just a very quick, easy, precise process. And with videos as well, there's a little bit of a problem of not being able to copy and paste. So I would say that's a potential limitation of a podcast, and there's no way to skim through the content. I've given some thought to providing at the beginning of each show a brief summary of what is in the show. So after recording the episode, I would record a three to five minute summary and maybe even provide uh, specific times where I would say, okay, at 10 minutes, I'm talking about inkjet printers. Then if you skip ahead to 20 minutes, I'm talking about laser printers. Perhaps for some podcasts that would be useful, but I've not yet started doing that. I think that there's a benefit to having an unfolding discovery process in learning or absorbing information. And by having the podcast organically unfold in a sometimes weaving manner, it can stimulate the person's um, attention in the same way that a winding road kind of keeps your attention more than a big, wide, straight, flat highway. So I, I do try to have a little bit of winding and discovery in these podcasts. And for that reason, I've tried not to have them be too structured. And I've avoided, at least up until now, this idea of having a, an outline at the beginning that would make the podcast predictable and even that might unnecessarily give a person the wrong idea about the podcast. They may hear an outline and think, oh, I'm not interested in that when 
actually, if they had listened through, they would find some points that were interesting. So I think at present, I'll probably continue with this idea of not using an outline. Well, as the sound of landscaping and weed cutting machines increases in the background, I am going to wrap up this episode. I appreciate uh, you taking time to listen. I hope that it's been helpful and thought provoking. I'm thankful for all of those who subscribe and comment and share and like, and I look forward to sharing more with you again soon. Take care.